The Eyes to the Left. Hello and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirror's political podcast. My name is Jason Beatty and I'm joined today by Kevin Maguire and Dan Bloom to dissect the budget. This was Philip Hammond's big financial statement. He spoke for an hour and 15 minutes, long by budget standards, and he said, interesting words, austerity is coming to an end, not it is ending or is over, like Theresa May had said, and he seemed to appear to give a lot of money. But how good was it? Was it a Halloween con or Halloween treat? Kevin, what did you think? Philip Hammond's house of Halloween horrors. I think the lie throughout the budget was austerity is coming to an end, when the Institute of Fiscal Studies, the Resolution Foundation, the Institute of Public Policy Research have shown that isn't the case. Now, there is an argument for rebooting the economy, ending austerity, people are tired of it, and he's changed his political rhetoric, but there is no question that he is still sticking to austerity, when if you go outside of defence, international development and particularly the National Health Service departments are continuing to be squeezed and soon the public sector will be the NHS and very little else. Yeah well we had two kind of verdicts today, two post-mortems, one by the Resolution Foundation, a think tank which specialises on those on low and middle incomes, and then another by the Institute for Fiscal Studies, the IFS as we call them, which is always the respected yeah. IFS, when you like it and when you don't like, don't like it, it's the uh, less respected, and, and both came to the same conclusion. We'll talk about the resolution in a bit with Dan about you know, the, the tax and benefit changes, but both said austerity is a long way from being over. I mean, if you, once you take away health spending, which is going to take up the bulk of the money he, he handed out yesterday, there's nothing for the other departments. So nothing for education, nothing for the police, nothing for the justice system. Everywhere else is getting squeezed, and that's going to continue. It's flat, as the Chancellor is forced to admit today. No, absolutely. And Philip Hammond is a continuity Chancellor. A story is his ideology. He is really, really dry. And the only reason he's changed his political talk is he can see what's happening in the country with the being tired and he's having to go on a Labour terror now because we saw at the party conferences and discussed it on an earlier podcast mm. how Labour are making the mood music now. And so he's changed the rhetoric, but the reality is it's still austerity. And Downing Street's quite happy to present the political message, austerity is ended. But they're not prepared to put their money where their mouth is. And people will know that soon. And I thought we... We got it in a way when Hammond talked about coming up with some money for schools for those little extras, he called it, which was as patronising as you could be when anybody with a kid in education knows those little extras are teachers, classroom assistants, books, pens, toilet rolls. Mm. The squeeze per pupil in education is really, really painful and it's having an impact. And, and yes, he thinks with a small amount of money, less than, less than enough to uh, employ a teaching assistant per school will somehow transfer it. It's a contract. You put the con back into concept. I thought that was the most telling phrase of a budget, wasn't it? It was like, you should be grateful yeah. to me that I found this money. And I think this is the big problem with Tories face. It's that disconnect between what they're saying and what people are thinking on the ground. So they can declare the end of austerity or they can declare the austerity is coming to an end, whichever one you want to take, May or, or, or Hammond. But actually, people there aren't feeling it. No, it was about politics, not economics. And it was really about spin and how you could present the, the governing party. It wasn't about fundamental change and you may have put a, the odd sticking plaster here and there but there was a, wasn't the reboot 
than yeah. you would require and public services are really creaking after eight years of cuts whether it's justice whether it's transport whether it's housing education we, we mentioned local authorities social care which gets a little bit but actually relatively little he's going to fill in some potholes but that will not make up for the cuts in road expenditure since 2010 but also it seems an odd sense of priorities to find more money to fill in potholes than they did for education potholes got 420 million education for little extras got 400 million which is a very bad optics you know he was very good on money for village halls 10 million but absolutely nothing to say how we're going to solve the crisis in social care apart from as you say this sticking plaster emergency injection of funds which is still less than the cuts the councils have got next year 1.3 billion so no, absolutely sorry is here cuts will continue and it, i think it was dishonest of philip hammond and he's been found out because okay. the think tanks the respected number crunches they're not having a party political axe to grind have just shown that it was a hollow budget in that sense. And some of the headlines in the newspapers welcoming it were just ludicrous. The, the Telegraph, taxpayers handed Brexit bonds untrue. The Sun, Just so you can hear, Kevin's now throwing these papers <laughs> on the ground in disgust as he reads the headlines uh, out. The Sun, <laughs> no tricks, just treats, untrue. The Express, tax cuts for 32 million. Totally misleading when we discuss where those tax cuts are going. And as Dan, as you pointed out to me this morning, we were flicking through the sun. We have to do this for a living, by the way. It's, it's, it's not pleasure. It's, it's, it's part of our job. But we do it so you don't have to. And, and as you said, you know, the sun had a table which showed that the majority of sun readers, those on the kind of, you know, middle to low income brackets, are actually doing a lot worse in this budget in terms of the tax and welfare changes than the very wealthy or actually the, anybody over 50,000 upwards. Yeah, because it, it's, it splits into two things of what they're doing with income tax. First of all, they're taking away, they're, they're raising the personal allowance of what you can earn without paying tax. So that helps anyone who owns more than £12,500, but it only helps them by £130 a year, which if you talk to anyone, you break that down per month, you start making it sound like you're selling some kind of you know, subscription service. Oh, it's only £7 a month or whatever. And then you look at what's happening to the richest 13% of people in the country. That's people who earn more than £50,000. They are having a massive upscaling to the level at which they have to pay 40p tax, and that will save them another £730. So you've got, he's presenting them as two things together, as if they're just all part of one package and they're all great for people. What he's really doing is he's giving a £130 tax cut to most people who, are, who have a job, and he's giving another £730 on top to anyone who earns more than 50 grand. That's a huge gap. And as I keep pointing out, the whole problem with raising the income tax threshold is it does nothing for the five million people or so who don't earn enough to pay income tax anyway. So actually those right at the bottom of the income scale get almost nothing from this, and apart from welfare cuts, which we can come on to. But those at the top of the scale do extraordinarily well. And, and this was kind of, you know, the Resolution Foundation figures on this were quite damning, weren't they? It was something like 14 times more of the top 10% were out of its budget than the, the bottom, the bottom 10%. 10 absolutely. And nearly half of all tax cuts, 45%, go to the top 10%. It's astonishing. Uh, it's, it's a budget for the few, not the many. And yet Labour 
Looks like Thank you for coming on to this. Will not. John McDonnell, the Shadow Chancellor, and Jeremy Corbyn, the leader, in their wisdom, have decided Labour will not vote against those tax cuts. Which is already causing a bit of a backlash. That's the story brewing today, isn't it? We've got Labour MPs and Labour colleagues coming out and going, hang on, this isn't right. We, we, you know, John McDonnell's saying, well, I don't want to take money out of people's pockets, but this is an instance where actually maybe you want to take money out of some of the richest people's pockets. And it's quite an unusual position to take. So Andy Burnham, now the mayor of of Greater Manchester region and saying this position cannot hold. It doesn't seem right when you've got people sleeping rough on the streets. And drew an interesting comparison in a uh, with when Labour, when Harriet Harman was deputy leader in 2015-2016, voting with the government on the welfare cuts. Uh, yeah, Labour to abstain yeah. on the welfare cuts Thank instead you of voting president. against them. And mm. of course, that put rocket fuel in Jeremy Corbyn's bid to become Labour leader, uh, effectively kibosh Andy Burnham's chances because he stayed in the shadow cabinet instead of resigning because unity was one of his, uh, one of his positions. Uh, I have heard some Labour MPs unkindly say Andy will be back in the tax cuts next week because he has a... <laughs> Reputation uh, flips, I think. <laughs> which, which actually, in truth, is him trying to navigate through very choppy waters and a divine party. But I, but I think Labour has politically made a mistake here. The Labour manifesto was going to increase ta uh, taxes on those earning over 80,000. But it, I would have thought it is a straight target for Labour when ordinary workers, as Dammit was explaining, are receiving so little and those who are much higher earners are receiving such a lot. It's quite, you would have thought for Labour's politics and for the many yeah. not the few, it is a no-brainer to vote against those tax cuts. And that's, you know, this is great naive Evan quote, isn't there, but, you know, the, uh, the, the language of, of politics is so, religion of socialism. Yeah. And here's a case where you think, actually, there's quite a clear sense yeah. of kind of priority that, you know, you put money towards those who are least well off and you don't hand it to those who are already quite comfortable, particularly when you've got a problem with rough sleeping and you've got a problem with people facing welfare cuts. Dan, I'll actually talk about universal credit in a minute. And you've got a problem with schools being underfunded. Yeah, uh, socialism politics is about priorities and where you spend the money. John McDonnell, when he was in opposition to Labour governments, <laughs> Gordon Brown used to call him the Shadow Chancellor, was forever producing alternative budgets. And the John McDonnell of the opposition years, before he was uh, in control of the Labour Party, would have been denouncing a Labour leadership doing this and would be saying, you cannot vote for this, and would probably be voting against it and, and breaking the whip of his own party. So we're, we're in a weird state of politics here now. Of course, John McDonnell's strategy, and he's both more ideological and pragmatic than Corbyn, seems to be put no roadblocks in the way, in the way of power. And maybe he doesn't want to alienate those on over 50,000, certainly 50,000 up to 80,000. But nevertheless, I find, I find it kind of pretty inexplicable if Labour is going to vote for tax cuts, which are so unfair. It seems like a really unforced error as well uh, to me, because he's going around saying, no, we're not going to undo what we inherit. We're, we're going to work with what we inherit. But then he's also saying, like you alluded to, Kevin, in the manifesto, and they're still promising this, that people earning 80 grand will get an extra, will get on the 45p tax, so they'll have to pay more, and people earning 123 grand will be taxed even more, they'll be taxed 50p. So it's a, it's a bit of a PR blunder, this, because the, Labour is promising higher taxes on higher earners, but at the same time it's saying, well, we'll do our own taxes higher on higher earners, but we'll keep the Tories tax cuts for higher earners at the same time, so it's a really mixed message, and I can't, for one, 
really understand what they're but doing. Maybe as it develops uh, and the route rules within his own party, he'll come up with a refined position, an <laughs> amendment, perhaps. It's, proposed, it's just possible. Yeah, proposing those over 80,000 don't get the cuts. He may, he may come up with something like that because I feel like it just does not feel very Corbyn East. No, that's but the whole thing. I mean, those who are going to like Jeremy Corbyn because he's going to produce a radical alternative to, to what we have at the moment and is not going to do this kind of triangulation of kind of the Blair years, going, I think we'll be disappointed with this. They, they want to see proper redistribution. If, if Ed Balls, when he was shadow chancellor, was doing this and proposing to vote for these tax cuts that are clearly unfair, John McDonnell, I have no doubt, would have been denouncing him. Yeah. Now, Dan, you're, you're our resident welfare expert. You know more about this subject than Norman and anybody else I know. Um, Including Esther McVeigh. <laughs> well, that's not difficult. <laughs> I think she might disagree with that. <laughs> If we can ever get was this the was this uh, this extra money for the universal credit announced in yesterday's budget? Now, why did he do it, and, and will it make any difference? Well, he did it because he's facing fury from all quarters. They keep saying that, you know, as a quick background, universal credit launched in 2013, the great all-in-one benefit to make sure that you don't sort of get your benefits dropping off as soon as you take on a part-time job. It quote makes work pay, which everyone else says it doesn't. Um, so. They were saying that they were going to work with charities. Every charity is saying it's going completely wrong. It's driving people to, into rent arrears and to food banks and to the brink of suicide. And then they say, oh, we'll, we'll try and work with our own party. And you've got more than 20 Tory MPs and Sir John Major comparing it to the poll tax and saying that there really had to be something. So his hand was forced. But in the end, what he did was extremely dramatic, I think. It doesn't undo every problem, and that's mainly because benefits have been frozen and cut back before they were changed into universal credit. So even if, as the document suggests, it is now, for the first time, a bit more generous than the system it's replacing, the system it's replacing has been cut back over the years. But that aside, he's putting in what will amount to, in the end, £1.7 billion a year more for people, for millions of people on universal credit. I think it works out as about £630 per family, although of course it depends completely on your circumstances and that kind of thing. He is undoing the cuts that George Osborne brought in at the very start and, and have permeated and have poisoned the whole rollout of the benefit. And he's not undoing all of them, but he's undoing a lot of them. And he's going for the thing that actually a lot of people said was the problem. There's been a lot of focus on another thing that he announced at the same time, which is some money going into helping people move over and transition. But to me, that's a bit of a red herring because it's much less money. It's a billion pounds over five years. And it's a sort of one-off payment. It's to help you adapt. The, the real story is in this huge amount of money that they'll be churning out every single year to just give people slightly higher payments and make the benefit a bit fairer as after all was the entire point of it in the first place but mm -hmm. is it enough politically and is it enough financially for two questions here i mean you know and secondly it's still not mitigating this kind of was about various figures floating around from kind of, you know, kind of six billion of welfare cuts, which are still to come. Well, this is it. The um, IFS, one of our two groups of experts, said this quite well today, that the whole point about universal credit is that it's a different system. So even if 
it's about the same level now on average as the old system. Half of the people, it doesn't take a mathematical genius to think half the people on it are going to be winners and the other half are going to be losers. And the range of that is huge. You could be gaining a thousand pounds under the new system or you could be losing a thousand pounds. It's still got this huge range in it. So it's not going to be enough politically for Labour who want it halted and reviewed. It's not going to be enough politically for the Daily Mirror who want it halted and reviewed. I should point that one out. And it wasn't enough politically last night for um, Heidi Allen, one of, a Tory MP who is one of the leading critics of the sort of benefit system and the flaws in the benefit system uh, from that side. And she stood up in the budget debate and said, look, I, d- I don't want, I paraphrase, but I don't want to come across as churlish or, or sort of ungrateful, but this might not be enough. We need more. We need you know, help for people when they need it. So I think the debate's going to roll on. Definitely. I think the Resolution Foundation started looking at the tax and benefit changes together. The poorest tenth get about 30 quid a year extra, which is what, 60p? Buy you a bag of crisps. Mm. And the richest uh, tenth get 410 quid, which is what, about 8 quid. Of course, a lot of that is because of what we were talking about uh, 10 minutes ago with the the, huge tax. But he's skewed skewed everything towards the few non men. Big picture stuff of this budget is we can't actually trust any of it because it all depends on Brexit. No, absolutely. And, and that was, can I thought, quite telling. I mean, he was using it to try and put pressure on the Brexiteers to say, look, you've got to back a deal. If you don't back the deal and we don't get one, then I'm going to have to have an emergency budget. I think he phrased yeah. it slightly more kind of hammer desk than that. And you know, and then you cannot count on any of his extra money coming from anywhere. Which is probably right. However, George Osborne claiming there would have to be an emergency budget uh, after the referendum, if there was a vote for Brexit, and there wasn't, will have people quite rightly question it. But the Office for Budget Responsibility forecast show that divorce bill is up from 39 billion to 47, warns no deal would be severe. And a lot of the problems that we're confronting are nothing to do with the European Union or Brexit in truth. The fact that wages in real terms will not be back to their 2007 level until 2024, that's another six years away after 17 years unprecedented squeeze, is partly because of failed, uh, the failed ideology of self-defeating austerity or growth over the next five years is forecast to be 4.9%. That is lower than the G7 5.5% estimate of the IMF of the biggest economies. We have a very poor economy and most of the problems are made in Britain and austerity crushed growth and a promising recovery back in 2010. Putting up VAT by 12 billion was a ridiculous take out of the private sector. Cancelling investment uh, in infrastructure was a fatal error. And, and, and what was interesting about this was that there were actually cheers for growth figures, but they're very, very anemic. Yeah. Was that going 0.1% up on what previously forecast? Yeah, so, the, the, so we're, we're, yeah. I mean, we're going from kind of 1.4 to 1.5, and actually be a moment to kind of hang up a bunting and great adulation. But actually, historically, this is very pathetic figures. Yeah, way and below. they're going to carry on over those. It's, it's way below the, the trend of 2.5% that we used to enjoy. 
Uh, they've never yet, in a single quarter, matched the 1% they inherited from Labour in April, May, June of 2010. They have never touched that 1% since. And this was kind of partly, I thought, one of a kind of, you know, you talked about the con trick, but I actually thought, you know, the kind of a, the sleight of hand was to say, you know, you should be grateful because we're doing this wonderful thing, whether we're sustaining growth or now we've been punching the face for kind of the last eight years. We're not punching you quite so hard when it comes to public spending. And I just thought, you know, will voters be really that dumb to kind of, you know, taken relief by, by this? I don't know. They will. I think they'll be going, you know, thanks, no thanks. You know, why should we be grateful to you? No. Well, you do wonder if we'd be beaten down for so long and our expectations have been lowered and lowered and lowered. That could play a part in it, why people cheer when these fairly sort of dismal growth figures come out because you've got on the one hand the austerity that's rolled on for years and so people if he announces I'm putting like you said it was 600 million and a bit into social care but it's been cut by more than a billion you think oh we've got 600 million for social care oh good and then the other side of it is called Brexit is sort of lowering our expectations so much we're used to having a weaker pound we're used to having weaker growth which I think the IMF has said is because of Brexit or at least can be linked to it and, you know, we, we announce these things and you end up with saying, oh, it's all treats and no tricks because we've, we've got so used to the bad aspects of it. Yeah, the bar is now so low. <laughs> we're forgetting yeah. where we've come from. If people buy the change in narrative, Labour is in serious trouble. If they talk the talk, may not walk it, but they talk the talk, they may be able to pull a few, enough people away from, from Labour to really damage uh, Jeremy Corbyn's party and, if Labour's needing to draw thick, bright red lines, voting for tax cuts, which uh, give, again, nearly half the cuts to the richest, the highest earning 10%, and you vote for them, you cannot attack them. How could you attack that giveaway, that unfair giveaway, and then vote for it? And I think Labour is damaging itself, uh, and its selling point is being reduced. It is. It opposes austerity. I always recall uh, people like John McDonnell would denounce Ed Balls and Ed Miliband as austerity light. Well, now they're going to vote it. This is this is where politics is getting turned upside down, becoming very confusing uh, for for us. Never mind voters. When Labour is going to back something that it knows is wrong. So Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell are now coming up with realities of what it's like to be kind of, you know, in office, aren't they? They are, you know, the responsibility which comes from being in an opposition party. Yeah, and they're finding it a lot tougher than probably realised. Yeah, there's higher earners. They, mm. they don't want to annoy. They don't want to end in here. Well, they didn't give Gordon Brown, Tony Blair, Ed Miliband uh, any leeway when they courted these people. In fact, they denounced them. Yeah. But there is, you know, you could see it in the last election when, you know, the, the, the promise to kind of, you know, abolish tuition fees was playing to a kind of middle class, slightly wealthy audience. And actually, a lot of people said the money should be going on things like kind of, you know, childcare and. and well, you could you could argue you should have gone into instead of higher education, further education, which more working class kids use and has been destroyed, absolutely scythed. Uh, Angela Rayner, the education spokeswoman, was arguing for it to go into early years learning and give kids a chance there. Now, I understand why they want to reduce university tuition fees. And as somebody who had a tuition fee university, tuition fee free university education, I agree. But it is, what, 10, 12 billion? That's a lot of money 
Yeah, I should just point out, so did I as well. I've got a full grant. Dan, what was it like going to university? As, as a young, younger person, now is. <laughs> first year of three grand fees. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, I think, my other half uh, got slightly lower exam grades than expected, but had to go forward to uni anyway, uh, as did tens of thousands of other people, because otherwise uh, it was in one of those crossover years where if you wait a year, your fees would have gone up from three grand to nine grand. God, that time's a forgotten story. Uh-huh. Yeah. My, my one last kind of observation on the budget was actually, I thought, and this may sound an odd one, I thought it lacked boldness. I think post-Brexit Britain is going to need fundamental reform. But the, the big challenges which drove people to vote for Brexit in the first place, which was the massive inequality, the regional divide, that kind of feeling that, you know, you were not going anywhere and our areas have been left behind. And I thought there was nothing about budget for them at all. That was a big strategic mistake. It's not like home counties, spreadsheet fill, the multi-millionaire property developer isn't the person to bringing up average earnings in the Midlands, yeah. North East, North West, South Wales, yeah. Scotland. That's not what that's what it, was a, it, was a, it, was, it was much more of a Daily Mail budget Absolutely. than it was a, actually. It also, it also felt like quite a Theresa May budget, this sort of plodding incre- incremental, we'll put a little bit of money in here and a bit of money in there and, you know, well done you, you deserve it and that sort of thing, rather than unveiling a, a big vision. I guess it mm. would make sense if it's a Theresa May budget because she announced most of it. Although it, it, it is interesting <laughs> they have finally bal- uh, abandoned balance in the books as a goal, which they fetishised the deficit and debt well, uh, when George Osborne was at the Treasury. Defi- deficit was meant to have gone by 2015, that was three yeah, years ago. Well, and, uh, they're going to borrow uh, another $100 billion plus, uh, so debt will be climbing towards about $1.9 trillion. It was yeah. about eight hundred billion when Labour left office. Yeah. Apparently, the, the deficit was incredibly high when Labour left because, of course, the banking collapse had taken out so much of the private uh, the private sector. That's why spending went up. It wasn't it wasn't uh, on nurses and teachers that caused the caused the problem, but it's just gone now. And that magic magic ma- magic money tree is is bigger and more laden with golden fruit than ever at the moment. Uh, well, isn't it? It's where they will now lack credibility when they attack Labour spending. Say, so, hang on. You've, you've got a deficit, you've got to keep the national debt going in cash terms, yeah. may fall percentage of the economy even with those anemic growth figures, but there is a giant hypocrisy at the heart of that Tory project. Dan, what's your main takeaway from this? Oh, I was just thinking about that, that the rule is not to make a U-turn and definitely not to try and make it within the course of a year on your entire strategy. They are They've gone from magic money tree in the election and telling a, a nurse, I think it was, who couldn't have told May and herself famous there is question no magic time, money yeah. tree, to the spending taps are on and we're opening it up and all that sort of thing. I think they have done what could be starting a direction, starting a path towards spending more money and ending the ing bit is important, mm. a bit of austerity. But... It, it's it's going to be a positive direction for some people, but it's never going to be... First of all, it's never going to wipe out austerity because to do that you have to go back on years of cuts which have built up a head of steam behind what's happening now, and they, it looks like they simply couldn't afford to do that now. But second thing is it's never going to be as radical 
as Jeremy Corbyn's Labour. So they're going to be going into the next election, which today she insisted is not next year, definitely not next so year. Pencil next year for a general election. Exactly, January. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, they're going to be asking voters to choose between a, a sort of moderate, a bit of money here, a bit of money there, money where it's needed programme, and a radical overhaul of the way the whole thing works because the whole thing's broken programme. And one of those is a lot easier to put on a banner or a placard or a TV ad than the other. Kevin, final thoughts? My final thought is, is Labour should vote for the rise in the to £12,500 the basic income tax allowance, but against up to £50,000 and say, look, to those people who benefit, you, I'm afraid, limited resources, it wouldn't, wouldn't be a priority. And as for the, for the government, I, I think the budget was one long line because austerity hasn't ended and it was dishonest. And on that happy note, thank you for listening. Uh, my name is Jason Beatty. You can follow me on Twitter at, at JBTMower. Dan's on Twitter at DanBloom1. Kevin? Kevin underscore Maguire. And you can go to our website, which is mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes, A-Y-E-S. You can leave comments and look forward to hearing, speaking to you again soon. The Eyes to the Left 